0: It's daily thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. The Clapham dynamic. So I was sitting down with, uh, Philip Hartman a few weeks ago. Philip's one of our team members here. If you go through Ellerslie, uh, he's one of our, our trainers, our teachers, and, uh, He brought up something when we were talking about Ellerslie, we were talking about the future of Ellerslie, what we're supposed to do here on this campus. And I tell you what, my my soul was riveted even in the little short description that he gave. And so in this process, ironically, of prepping this particular message, this ended up playing into it as well. And uh so I, I want to explain, you know, a, a little uh, behind uh, this. This is a short rendition of it. I've been so moved by this idea of the Clapham uh, Saints that I've even been pondering, you know, a future Daily Thunder series just on this uh, because it is so meaty and rich. Uh, but— I'm calling this the Clapham Dynamic. This is part 6 in my series uh entitled Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America where we're we're diving into this uh time period in history in America before uh the Civil War. So it's called antebellum uh the antebellum period or antebellum America from the end of uh the war of 1812 which finishes in like 1815 through 1861 and it's a time period that for many of us is somewhat of a blur we don't really understand what took place in that time we just know what resulted in it in the civil war and what's important to me and i think where the weight in this series is for me is is just seeing that we are repeating history uh in this country and we think that we are just divided, and this is the first time we've ever gone through this in our nation's history, when in actuality we were probably more divided uh, back in the antebellum period than we are even now, which is hard to imagine. The violence was off the charts. It was such an extreme breakdown of culture. And it was this test case of this constitutional uh, republic known as the United States of America, and it looked like it was failing, to be honest with you. And so there are certain things that we can look at uh, in this time period and say, hey, we can do this better, because even the church was divided in this time, like we see today, we see a division uh, that is spiked, which is very easy in the, in the body of Christ. I don't know why. Here we are, uh, the saints of the Most High God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet we divide. Uh, and yet that's the same thing that was happening in antebellum America. You had north-south issues where the church itself was divided. The Methodists and the Baptists both split on political lines right down the middle. So you have the northern and the southern version of both of those denominations. And so when you begin to see the church participate in the politics of the day, which I'm not against the church participating in what's happening in in the culture, but what I don't like is when the church plays politics instead of Jesus. And so that's what irks me, and that's what irks me now even, as we see the church pandering in both directions. You have the liberals and you have the conservatives, and what I want to be is the church. That's, that's what matters to me, and that's, that's one of my big burdens. The Clapham dynamic is uh, going to be an interesting uh, thing to observe in this because they were Christians. Uh, and we're not in America. As as I share this, we're going to go back to the late 1700s, and we're going to go to England. And Clapham is a suburb of London. And so let's, let's visit there. Uh, we have Clapham, England. And I'm going to give it a pretty uh, uh, incredible description with the gathering place of heroes. Uh, it's it 's a very interesting thing that is going to take place right at the end of the century, so the uh, right at the same time we 're having revolutionary war over here we 're establishing our new government over there. We have a character named William Wilberforce and a bunch of other very, very stout and strong uh, members of society that are going to rally together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and they 're going to say. We need to change England. England was headed in a very divisive direction. It was decadent, it was immoral, and it, was, uh, it looked like darkness had swallowed up the culture. And there was this band of men and women that are basically going to defy that, and they are going to say, hey, not on our watch. I like that. So I'm going to, on the screen, if you're listening to this via podcast, I have a, a slide that says, The Power of Collaboration. God designed us to exponentially impact when united. I I said the word exponentially sort of funny, but God designed us to exponentially impact when united. It's his idea. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the church. And the church isn't made up of one member. It's made up of many members. And this is God's design. And when those members unite, there's actually a greater impact. It's not just like one plus one equals two. It is a multiple, multiplying impact. It is an exponential impact. And that's part of what is going to be seen in and through the Clapham dynamic is it's basically, in a nutshell, it's the body of Christ functioning as the body of Christ. And as a result, the world is changed around them. So, the Clapham sect. Now, I have to admit, that is one of the worst names I have ever heard. Okay. Se- the word sect, it makes us think of a cult or something. And, you know, to be honest, back in this day when it was named, when these people were participating in this work in Clapham, England, it wasn't called that. This is later in reference to it. A historian is going to write about it and call it the Clapham sect, okay? So for better or for worse, that's that's what it was—that's what it, most people know it as in history. Uh, however, there's another name for it because these were— uh, the, the the Clapham Christians that bonded together in this territory of England were also called saints, and it was you know mockingly so. It was not necessarily a compliment, and so they're also known as the Clapham Saints. And so I don't know if you had to choose which one you were going to go with. I would go with Clapham Saints, uh, but at the same time. Uh, You know, I've sort of let it grow on me a little because I don't want to shoo it away just because they called it the Clapham sect because it is a really, really powerful thing that took place in and through this group of Christians. So here's a picture of William Wilberforce, and I know many of you in the audience are familiar with him. He is most noted for standing against the slave trade in uh, Great Britain and also working to see slavery completely abolished. This was a massive endeavor, especially when a culture, in a sense, is sort of built around it. Just like we're going to see in antebellum America, we're going to see the South and its economy built around it. It's very, very difficult to change the economy of a nation. Uh, and. To, to deal with this issue of slavery had to change the economy of a nation as well. And so it was a very, very difficult thing to stand against. But William Wilberforce is going to move to Clapham in 1792. And it uh, sounds like something uh, in in the history books, sort of like uh, what Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 14, uh 92? Boy, it sounds funny. Uh, but this is, uh, William Wilberforce moved to Clapham in 1792. So that's our new little phrase that goes with it. But this movement of William Wilberforce into this little, you know, it's like an estate, and it had a little chapel on it, and it had other, other homes on it, where these families are going to gather together to say, hey, let's work together to change this nation. It's very intriguing to me, what is going to take place. So this is... Uh, if you have a good memory and you you go all the way back to the first episode where I went through an overview of uh, all the secrets of Lincoln's leadership, one of them was this, inspire a Clapham sect in your living room. And so that's, that's my encouragement to all of us, technically. It's not just what Lincoln is going to do where he's going to create this Clapham dynamic in America, but it's something that each of us should consider, seriously consider too, mainly because it's a command in Scripture. This is what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. We're supposed to function as the body of Christ. So three reasons to inspire a Clapham sect in your own living room. So I have three reasons on the, on the screen, salt and light, exponential impact, and participation. So actually, there's, there's more reasons than this, but this is going to be our short list for today because this is a simple message, a simple meditation, and a powerful one. So let's look at each one of those. The principle of salt and light. You see, there's something about a collaborative work that God designed us for. It's a lot easier, for those of you that have been hurt in the church of Jesus Christ, I I get it. I have uh, many wounds from the body of Christ. But the instinct that we have as humans is to isolate because of that and to preserve ourselves from further injury. When in actuality, the impact of our life is not found in us lone rangering, and it's actually found in us working with the body, even though the body has challenges uh, when you work with it. There is a desire that God has for us to function as this body. And when we do, there are impact points. And that's what I'm going through with these three. This first one is the principle of salt and light. So let's look at what Jesus says in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? We don't want to lose the saltiness of the church. We don't want to lose the light of the church. And yet what's happened in this generation, well, I would say in the past two years especially, is we see a diminishment of that light and that saltiness of the church to the point where many of us are just sort of hiding out, hoping we don't get noticed. And that is the wrong direction. What you're going to see in a Clapham dynamic is they're going to take the offensive and change the culture in which they live, as opposed to try and survive the culture. And so as a result, the reason I want to lift this Clapham dynamic up is because I believe the Church of Jesus Christ is meant to be like salt. It is meant to be like light, and when it functions in its proper role— it doesn't stand back on its haunches in a defensive position, but moves forward, and as the statement says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the second uh, principle, of, which is what I would call the principle of exponential impact, that our impact actually grows when we gather together. That if you just take Eric Ludi by himself, Eric Ludi has talents, Eric Ludi has abilities, Eric Ludi can do something. But when I gather together and I work with the body, I function as the body ought. Just like the body itself, you know, a hand is a powerful instrument, but it's more powerful when it's connected to an arm than if it's just isolated. And that arm is even more uh, impactive, not just connected to the hand, but also to the shoulder. And that shoulder is more impactive when it's connected to the torso. All of these things work together to form the movement of the body. God designed us this way. And when we accept that as the body, we actually are able to see God work in a greater way. So the principle of exponential impact, Matthew 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, that could be a little misleading in thinking that as an individual, God doesn't hear us, But what I would say is the opposite is more of what's being emphasized there, which is that when we gather, when we come together as a body, then there is an increase in in impact and effectiveness in what we are doing. And the third principle, the principle of participation. So if you hang out here at the church at Ellerslie, you notice that I always bring this up. I am convinced that the body of Christ is meant to be a participatory gathering and not just a guy up in front speaking. And yet the culture, the Christian culture that we all come from, is based around 2% of the church doing all the work of the church, and the rest just are, you know, observers. And that's just not what God seems to promote, and that's why I love the Clapham dynamic, where everyone comes together and everyone knows their job and everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing, and they change the world as a result. So the principle of participation, here's a scripture in 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six that enunciates that. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So I love the idea of all of us coming together and always having something to give, always having something to offer. Again, we're calling that the Clapham dynamic today. So the four-part strategy of Clapham. Now, when the gathering in Clapham was taking place, it didn't have a title. It wasn't called the Clapham Saints. It wasn't called the Clapham uh, sect. It was just a gathering of believers, and they were wanting to promote Jesus to the world. They were wanting to change the world. They wanted to be salt and light. And so these are the four things that they were going after, and I want us to consider going after them as well. Number 1, the sharpening of spiritual iron. You see when they were together they recognized that it sanctified them. And so as a result their gatherings were meant to sharpen one another. Number 2, the joys of fellowship that undergird for the journeys. So we could call that spiritual encouragement. That there's something about the body of Christ coming together that encourages the soul and strengthens us for the journey. Number 3, the comfort of fellowship that helps to stay the course. I call this spiritual stability. You see, there's something, there is a comfort that comes from being in the body and walking through trials together, sharing in one another's burdens. It's It creates a greater stability, not just individually, but corporately. And then fourth, the consistent reminder of heavenly focus, and I'm calling that spiritual persistence. This particular group in Clapham is going to be together for, I mean, we're talking like 50 plus years, and they are going to, over that period of time, maintain the integrity of their vision. How do they do that? Very few ministries can maintain the integrity of their vision. They just get off course. They lose sight. And there's something about this group that is very dynamic, and that's why I'm saying it's the Clapham dynamic. So here's the historian uh, back in the 1800s that wrote about them and actually is the one that gave them the title uh, The Clapham Sect. The Clapham Sect was a network of friends and families in England with William Wilberforce as its center of gravity who were powerfully bound together by their shared moral and spiritual values, by their religious mission and social activism, by their love for each other and by marriage. thought that was an interesting way of saying it. By their love for each other and by marriage. Uh, Obviously saying the Framework of their the way they gathered was based upon a Judeo Christian uh, framework of how what keeps them together, what keeps them bonded. The shocking outcomes of Clapham. So, when you gather the body of Christ together and you do it intentionally. And you do it participatory, for a participatory reason, and you do it with a desire to change the world around you, not to just subsist. See, a lot of churches today, a lot of us, participate in sort of a version of Christianity that subsists and tries to make it through as opposed to changing the world in which we live while we're going through it. And so this group is going to be an activist group. Now, I don't really like the word activist. It sounds bad. However, they're an action oriented group. They are desirous to do something about the world in which they lived. What did they inherit? They inherited a dark England. It was a mess at the time. I mean, uh, politicians would be drunk uh, on, on the parliament floor. That was a common thing. The level of debauchery was just off the charts, it's sort of like antebellum America that we are discussing. It's not that far removed from where we're at today, where we feel like we're going over a cliff and fast morally. That's the way they were then. But this group, in the midst of a very darkened time, is going to stand up and take it on. So the shocking outcomes. I'm just going to go through a quick list of outcomes It is arguable that no other church fellowship has influenced the world in such a profound and lasting way as the Clapham sect. They completed projects that spanned 50 years. It is hard to complete a project in the church that spans one year, let alone 50 years. They wrestled to see the Slave Trade Act passed in 1807. This group single-handedly carried that on their back and literally saw the Slave Trade Act, which is going to set a precedent for the world over in how to deal with slavery. And this one group was behind that. Then they wrestled to see slavery completely abolished in England in 1833. You remember, William Wilberforce moved to Clapham in 1792. This is 1833. That's a long time removed. They founded the Church Missionary Society and the British and Foreign Bible Society. Those are two major organizations that are going to grow out of this. They wrestled to see missions opened up in India. Missions were outlawed in India. This one group is going to take it upon their shoulders to push missions work forward and to get it uh, through parliament. That missionaries can now go over to, to India. Extraordinary. They wrestled for education reform. They sponsored the Sunday school movement. They founded Sierra Leone, an actual country in Africa as a safe place for slaves. This Fellowship did that. I mean, it's amazing. They labored to see blood sports eliminated. That's not a typical term we use today, but like dueling and gambling. They, they labored to see those eliminated from society. They completely altered the culture morally. They brought back decency in the behavior of politics. They founded the Proclamation Society and the Bettering Society. What an interesting group. So listen to this. This is a statement from that historian that wrote that original uh, book in the uh, mid-1800s about the Clapham sect named Stephen Tompkins. He said this, the ethos of Clapham became the spirit of the age. Now, what's interesting is if you study the spirit of the age biblically, that's not a good thing. It's usually defined by the devil. And so what's fascinating to me is this statement, whether or not this guy has a background, spiritually speaking, I don't know. But that statement means something to me. When the church itself is establishing the spirit of the age, that it is one of outward focus, one of generosity, one of giving, one of increase, one of serving the poor and the weak and setting the slaves free, when that becomes the spirit of the age, wow, the church is the one making the indelible imprint as opposed to the church conforming around the culture and becoming politically correct. This is the church taking the offensive and pushing. It's an extraordinary picture, a very rare one. So the unique and oft-overlooked outcome of Clapham. So I just went through a huge list of outcomes from Clapham that are really extraordinary, but this is one, and it fits you know, our little series here. Uh, a nice little shocker uh, impact. How about this? What's, what is it? It's Abraham Lincoln. You see, Abraham Lincoln is going to ultimately be the outcropping of this movement of the Clapham uh, sect. Their work in England, starting way back in the late 1700s, is actually going to create a ripple effect into what we know as the abolitionist movement in the United States, in the North, and in the. it's going to work inside of a man named Abraham Lincoln. Who is going to be awakened and stirred, and he is going to be morally readied to make a stand on behalf of the oppressed. That's extraordinary to think of the body of Christ and the ripple effect that can take place when we function simply as we are commissioned, according to scripture, to function. We must be salt and light we need to gather together and not forsake that gathering, but recognize that when we come together and we labor together and we all bring something, that the Spirit of God is working in us, that in and through that, known as the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the world is going to be changed. And so it's not just the abolition of slavery in America that is coming out of this. It's all over the world, that this one group in Clapham, England, because of their dedication, their diligence, their desire to serve Jesus in this way, they are going to change the world, which I think is pretty cool. So let's go through the leadership secrets of Lincoln that we've covered so far. Number one, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. Number three, never, ever send the first draft. Number four, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. Number five, bust through the cultural blind spots. And then today, number six, inspire a Clapham sect in your living room. Lord, we ask that you would do exactly this inside of us. Lord, that we would desire to be the body of Christ as you intend us to be, united together in this, that we are fighting for the right things and not the wrong things, that we are not allowing the politics of our age and the correctnesses of our age to steer us, but that your word, your Holy Spirit would be our guide. Lord, we submit to you with expectation. We ask that you would move in power in this generation, in and through us, your church. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen.